Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hello there, Shelly. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? Good. Um, <clears throat> we are recording this in December. Yes. And I have not, it is actually December 13th, 13th. and I have not bought a single Christmas present. Oh dear. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost done, but whatever. <laughs> I'm a big fan of online shopping. Click, 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 click. Yeah. I think it's a little too late for online shopping with us. Yeah. It's getting late. <laughs> You'll get there. Yeah. Hopefully. Yep. You will. Um, this week we're interviewing Cassandra Thompson Great. and she is a mom who is going to share her personal story with tongue tie and lip tie and all that oh, stuff excellent. that she experienced when she was breastfeeding her daughter. Excellent. But first, let's do our favorite of the week. Great. Do you want want to go go? first? Okay. Mine is an Instagram account. Uh Uh-huh. And it's called um, Bye, Philippe. Uh Uh-huh. And it's kind of, you know, there should be like a trigger warning on this account because all it is is like, it's mostly like screenshots of messages with men and women who are trying out online dating and the things that men say to women. Holy crap. So it's not something pleasant and fun. Like some of it can be scary, um, but they do make light of it, except for it's not funny to get harassed and threatened, but it's kind of like, they're basically making fun of like fragile masculinity kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a lot of screenshots where, you know, some guy messages, Hey, beautiful. And if the woman doesn't respond fast enough for his liking, then he's like, well, I think you're fat and ugly anyway. (gasps) Uh, Yeah. It's like a lot of that stuff, just showing like this stuff is real and this stuff is happening. And this is why women are afraid to walk around alone at night and stuff like that. Yeah. It's very eye opening. Wow. Huge. I'd love to see it. What is your favorite of the week? Um, altered state. So I'm not super familiar with this website. However, you know, it's the holiday season. And so all these ads are popping up and their stuff looked cute. I saw it on social media. I think I saw it on Facebook and I clicked on and their socks were adorable. And I always don't have socks because I have a 16 year old who likes my socks when I get (laughs) something cute. (laughs) <laughs> God damn it but I always make it a habit of buying everybody socks for Christmas so I was mm-hmm. able to go to their website and get socks for everybody I got all the girls socks on their website sorry boys um and they were fairly expensive they were $14.95 a pair I think or $14.99 don't quote me $16.95 I, I'm on there now they're nice and whatever. fuzzy they're super soft. And today I wore them for the first time. The ones I got myself, I didn't wait for mm-hmm. Christmas. I got myself a pair and I love them. They've held their shape. They stayed in place. They're cozy. They're cute. So that's my favorite of the week because I really like good socks. 
They have like wicked cute patterns on here too. Yep. Super cute. Dresses, tops, sweaters, bottoms, jeans. Mm -hmm. I like it. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Adorable stuff. Um, great. And we'll put the link for that store in that Instagram account in the show notes. And now let's do our question of the week. Sounds good. So this question was also submitted through Instagram. um, And the question is, is it normal for my 12 week old baby to still choke and cough when I have my letdown? So I guess I would say like that can happen, especially if you have a, a strong overactive letdown, but that's not the only thing that can cause coughing and choking at the breast. Like the baby has some sort of structural issues going on, high palate, lip tie, tongue tie, et cetera. That's kind of keeping them from moving their tongue properly. Then they're going to have a hard time controlling the flow, even when the flow isn't very fast. Right. So a lot of people think that, oh, my flow's too fast. When in reality, the flow is not fast. It's just the baby is not, is, is not doing something like they should to be able to control it as well. Mm-hmm. So if your 12 week old is still struggling with your flow, it might be worth seeing a lactation consultant Agreed. to make sure like nothing else is going on. Yep. I completely agree. That was a great question. I had overactive letdown and I'd spray my kids in the face. Yeah. The dog gets sprayed. The couch gets sprayed. I could put out a fire. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a fire hose nipple. You get really good at it too. Like you can squirt someone from across the room. Oh, I remember baby number one, though, like before you figure it all out, like I was soaking wet. The rim Mm. of my pants was always wet. I remember that. Like, this is just, you know, like, oh, but Mm -hmm. you figure it out. Did I ever tell you that that concert story? No. Okay. So my cousin's like into heavy metal. He's in a heavy metal band. And we went to go see one of his, um, we went to go see him play at a battle of the bands, a local one. And the band before him had a lead female singer and halfway through the song, she just whipped out her boobs and started spraying the crowd with milk. <gasps> you did tell me that story. <laughs> That's right. How could I ever forget that? Oh, I will goodness. never forget that. That no will be kidding. with me for the rest of my life. Oh, for sure. And every other person who was also there, either they're like freaking rock on or they're like, that yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. I think it was a good mix of like horrified. Right. And wow. That is so cool. Right. <laughs> and I was definitely one of those. Wow. Yeah. That is so She's like, crap, the baby's got to eat. I can feel the milk build up. Oh, here's all that down. I'm going to give them a show. That's some mad hand expression skills right there. Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. Get out of the way. Mm, I love people. I do too. (laughs) Um, All right. Next up, we are speaking with Cassandra. Sounds good. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. 
The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solace webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage and pelvic floor health. I'm so excited to introduce this week's guest, Cassandra Thomas from the Unbound Network on Instagram, and she's here to share her personal story around oral restrictions. Welcome, Cassandra. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that you're here because I really wanted to kind of present like a parent perspective of what the process is like when you're going through tongue and lip ties when breastfeeding or bottle feeding and what it looks like, um, including like aftercare and making your decisions and stuff like that. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So, um, so I have a daughter, um, she is now 19 months old and, um, we had quite a journey with um, tongue and lip ties and um, eventually also buckle ties. Um, And I just recently, um, earlier this year, started um, a social media platform, an Instagram account, The Unbound Network. Um, I found myself consistently um, being frustrated that there were so many families who were going through the same struggles that my daughter went through and that we went through together um, and we're not finding adequate support and we're feeling very, very lost just as we had felt very, very lost. So I started the Unbound Network as a way for me to actually try to help more people than I was. Um, I was supporting families through multiple social media platforms. And I was like, this is too much. (laughs) We'll just do one. Um, And didn't really honestly expect that it would be what it has been, which is a truly amazing community of people that um, are sharing in a really challenging journey and looking for empathy and support and resources and looking to connect with others uh, to talk about those struggles. And I feel really humbled by all of the support that we have gotten um, and the encouragement and um, for opportunities like this one. Mm I love your page. I love your Instagram page because, I mean, there are a lot of accounts out there that talk about like tongue and lip ties, but they're all from a provider um, perspective. Mm -hmm. There's not too much out there from a parent perspective. And when I'm working with families whose babies have oral restrictions, they usually say like, oh, my cousin's baby had that or my friend's baby had that. But there's no way, there's plenty of places for them to go to find out about it, but there's not a lot of places where they can talk with other parents Mm -hmm. who are going through the same thing. And I think that that's really needed. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's exactly what I found in the beginning of our journey was, you know, we were 
luckily able to find medical professionals eventually in our area that could support. But we also understood, and I think this is a hesitation that a lot of parents have, is that it is in medical and health professionals' best interest to diagnose something or to require their services. And that doesn't mean that they're, you know, that those services are not needed. But when you're a parent and you have no idea that tongue ties even exist, and you have no idea that, you know, all of the symptoms that your baby is experiencing, or maybe that you're experiencing, could be potentially linked to that. And you have people saying, oh, well, you know, it's a fad. Don't buy into it. Or, you know, it's not really an issue or they don't cause feeding problems or on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. You have people saying, oh, well, if you think this is what's going on, you need a whole team of people. And so you have these two very segregated, you know, mind um, mindsets. Mm-hmm. And as a parent who is just learning about what all of this is, even if you had a cousin whose baby had a tongue tie or whatever the case might be, it can be really overwhelming. And mm-hmm. I remember with my husband having a conversation after we had seen a couple of medical professionals who said, you know, flat out, like, tongue ties are a fad. Your baby doesn't have one. Look, she can stick her tongue out past her lips. There's no way. Yeah, she has a lip tie, but you're not going to address that till she's at least six years old. Don't even worry about it. But come back in three months and we'll see if she's still not gaining properly. Mm-hmm. So we have that. And then we have, you know, this now I know phenomenal um, chiropractor who is like, yeah, your baby's suffering. Mm-hmm. And you need my help. And you're also going to need an IBCLC and you're also going to want a release provider. And here's how much it's probably going to cost you. And you're like, as a parent, who do you, who do you trust? Right. It's so much. It's so frustrating because, you know, especially when pediatricians are the ones who are kind of dismissing it. As a parent, you want to trust your pediatrician and you do trust your pediatrician, but when you're hearing conflicting info from like three different providers, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've shared a lot on um, my platform and just in personal conversations that there was a moment in the very beginning of our journey where I just, I just said to myself, I know that this is what's going on. I don't care that our pediatrician has dismissed it. I don't care that the ENT that we saw says there's no way that this is what's going on. I know that this is what's happening. But the layers of emotions that I went through to like get to that point were extreme. Mm -hmm. And once I settled on that decision, I really questioned myself, who am I? I'm, I'm not a medical or health professional. Who am I to question what my pediatrician has said? Mm-hmm. And I felt, and I've shared this specific word a lot, I felt arrogant in that moment. Yeah. And I struggled with that a lot because we do 
want to trust our medical and health providers. And I think the challenge that so many of us face is, as you said, the dismissal. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be one thing if the normal experience in these scenarios was that a pediatrician said, you know what, I'm not sure, but let me refer you to an expert who would know. Right. But instead, what so many of us experience is dismissing, mm-hmm. downplaying telling us that the symptoms that our baby is experiencing are normal, that reflux is normal, that you just have a colicky baby, colic is normal, that they're not gaining weight or are, you know, let's say worst case scenario on, you know, the failure to thrive in that category, because your milk supply is inadequate. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the phrase, you have bad milk, Whatever the excuses or reasons that are being provided to you, you want to trust that experience and that opinion. And so often when it comes to oral restrictions, we just can't. And that's a really hard thing to navigate. Right. And I do feel like, at least in my area, and you and I are in the same state, Um, that things are ever so slowly kind of creeping in the right direction where now I'm seeing more and more providers say, you know, I, I don't know. And maybe you should reach out to a lactation consultant. Um, but still it's like so many times it's like, well, you know, they can stick out their tongue, so it's fine. Or they're gaining weight. So everything's fine and it doesn't matter that the baby's like screaming through every feeding or like coughing and joking Um, or, you know, they send them to a provider who is is just as dismissive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's backtrack for a second, just in case there's some, a listener out there who doesn't know what lip and tongue and oral restrictions are. Mm -hmm. Can you describe what they are? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so when we're talking about oral restriction, so there are, um, there are tissues in our mouth and, um, I'll speak specifically to Mari's, um, conditions, I guess I'll say. So, um, Mari had what is called a, um, posterior tongue tie. So the, uh, the mid portion and towards the back of her tongue, um, the tissue that connects to the bottom of her mouth um, was tight and short. So that caused her tongue, um, to not be mobile, um, or function in almost any way. And, um, for her upper lip tie, because there can be lower lip ties as well, but her upper lip tie, um, similar situation, that tissue, um, was short and very tight. And in Mari's scenario was actually extremely thick and it mm-hmm. actually wrapped all the way around her gums and connected to her palate and tacked, I'll use the word, tacked her upper lip, um, almost immediately directly under her nose. So she actually physically could not close her mouth because of her lip tie. And she also physically could not elevate her tongue upwards. What's so interesting about posterior tongue ties is that unlike anterior tongue ties, you can't, the naked eye 
or the untrained eye, I should say, can't see these ties. The anterior tongue ties, you can see a string that exists just if somebody is talking or, you know, in the baby's Mm -hmm. case, let's say crying. But with posterior, it's different. And I also learned, and it was the case with Mari for certain, that that type of tie does not prohibit her, did not prohibit her from pushing her tongue outward. It prohibited her from lifting her tongue. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that we experienced and we we addressed these later on because we weren't um, aware that they were really causing her such challenges um, and also they are very controversial because there's very little to no research on them but Mari did have buckle ties so um, mm-hmm. tight tissue at her upper cheeks connecting um, her gums to her cheeks. We all have all of these tissues, but in the case of those like Mari, um, who have ties, it limits the ability for oral function and mobility. Mm-hmm. And so we chose to have um, all of her ties released. Um, we actually went through two separate rounds of releases for her. Um, and the immediate and long-term difference in her experience and demeanor and um, disposition and abilities was profound. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think there are a lot of babies born with oral restrictions. They don't always need to be released. Mm -hmm. They're not always a problem, but when they are, it can be frustrating if like you said, if it's just that they can extend their tongue, but can't elevate, then that's when, I think that's when, especially most of the time that they're dismissed because mm-hmm. the providers will say, well, they can stick out their tongue because that's what you need for bottle feeding really is to be able to extend your tongue. But for like breastfeeding and bottle feeding and speech, and you know, you need to extend, elevate, lateralize, you need all forms of movement. So things that frustrate me as an, as a lactation consultant is, you know, when I hear, oh, well, they peeked in her mouth and they said that she can stick her tongue out. So it's fine, but it's not, you can't visually, an anterior tie is pretty obvious. You can see it, but you can't just look at what the frenulum looks like, right? You have to look at how the tongue is moving. You have to look at the actual function. Are they bringing their tongue up when they cry? Can they move their tongue side to side? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, most of the time when I'm working with the family, it's not just oral restrictions that are there. There's other things that go along with mm-hmm. those ties, like tightness and asymmetry yes. and high palates. Very rarely is it like, okay, this is the only issue that's going on that's contributing to your problems. Yeah. And yeah. I've heard pediatricians say, you know, like, oh, lactation consultants say that about every baby, or it's just the fat, or they don't exist, or the research shows that they don't impact feeding. There is one time when I was working a hospital shift, and I, I will never forget this. And I walked into the room, and the pediatrician was looking at the baby's mouth, and he said, Yes, there's a slight tongue tie, but it's not enough to where it won't affect feeding. And as he's saying this to the parent, I can see the blood from her nipples Mm. starting to soak through her hospital gown. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that frustrates me is when pediatricians or other providers say it won't affect feeding, but they don't actually watch the baby feed. Mm-hmm. How can you assess something if you never actually mm-hmm. assess something? Mm-hmm. 
And if you don't know how to assess a feeding, that's fine. Refer them to someone who does. Right. Yeah. That's what like brings my heart, my blood pressure up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Shelly too, it's so interesting about that is the number of times that I heard or that other parents have told me they've been told that if there aren't feeding issues, there's no reason to address ties. Mm-hmm. When there are clearly compensations that are already being made to make sure that the baby gains weight or that you can nurse. So whether it is, um, or just breastfeed, so whether it's needing to pump because baby won't actually latch or, um, you know, having to rely on creams or those silver cups to help your, you know, chapped and frankly, in my, like in my case, mutilated nipples Mm-hmm. or having to supplement with formula when that's not mm-hmm. what you wanted to do or having to use, you know, different systems or techniques and, yeah. or even certain positions or only nursing on one side. Cause that's the mm-hmm. only side that they will nurse on. So yeah, when or, this is said, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. There's, or only like only able to nurse if I am inside lying. Yes. Yep. Or only able to latch when you're using a nipple shield. Yes, can't latch exactly. without it, and there's nothing wrong with mom's anatomy. Right. So, yeah. so when they say, "Well, it's not affecting feeding," or you should really only address it if it's affecting feeding, mm-hmm. and you're bottle feeding a baby that you didn't intend to bottle feed because they were having trouble nursing, I'm like, "Well, mm-hmm. do those not count as feeding issues?" Right. Because they're compensations for the fact that your baby can't feed well right. or properly. So that really challenges me a lot. Mm-hmm. And I always think of whether you are planning on breastfeeding your baby or not, like half my kids were formula fed. I'm not that kind of Elsie, but I always think of like being able to latch and suck is kind of like another vital sign or another reflex mm-hmm. for babies, right? So if they come out and they're physically unable to latch, they're physically unable to feed, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's an indication that something is wrong, whether it's called by caused by ties or not. But, you know, if we took our three-year-old to the pediatrician and said, look, my, my kid's three years old and still can't walk, they wouldn't say, well, oh, that's okay. We have wheelchairs. Yes. Right. Exactly. But if yep. you take your baby to the pediatrician, like I can't get her to latch. And then when she does, she just chews and I don't see any swells. And they're like, well, just give her bottles. Give her and, bottles. and there's nothing wrong yeah. with bottles and there's nothing wrong with formula feeding. But if you are wanting to breastfeed your baby and your goals and your concerns are just being dismissed. And my favorite too, is always like, well, the baby's gaining well, so nothing's an issue. It's uh, feeding is so much more than weight gain. Mm-hmm. First of all, let me just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, you know, sometimes it's like, the pediatrician will be like, well, the baby's gaining well. It's like, yeah, because they're pumping and supplementing yes. after every feeding and they're yep. pumping themselves into postpartum depression to make sure that their baby's continuing to feed well. I've also had a bunch of um, consults with formula feeding babies who just cannot take the bottle well and have horrible reflux and horrible gas. And, and it's always like, well, the baby's gaining well. And I'm like, you don't understand. These parents are spending all day trying to get food, trying, because the baby can only take like a small amount before they get too fatigued and they give up. If you are spending all day, just trying to get food into your baby desperately. Yeah. She's gaining, but that's not how you want to live. That's not normal. And everything that you just described, Shelly, is exactly what we experienced. Mm -hmm. Mari's first releases happened when she was 10 weeks old. 
So for the first 10 weeks of her life, it was a nonstop process of anything and everything feeding related just to make sure that she was eating. If I wasn't trying to nurse her, which would be like a 45 to an hour, you know, 45 minutes to an hour long process because she'd fall asleep and then wake back up and fall asleep and wake back up. If I wasn't nursing her, I was pumping or supplementing and giving her a bottle or giving her Mm -hmm. a bottle of pumped milk. It was like the whole triple feeding process and it is grueling. There is no time to actually enjoy your baby. There's Mm -hmm. no time to really process or get through all of the things that you as somebody going through a lot of hormonal shifts and role changes and, you know, life, life changes. Mm -hmm. um, There's no time to, to process any of that because your entire life is revolving around feeding. And as you mentioned with colicky babies, or babies who suffer from reflux, you know, you're also then dealing with hours and hours of crying a day and Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, comfort them, having no idea what to do. It's a really, really tough process. And Mm -hmm. so while we know that babies need to gain weight, we know that that's an important, you know, thing to check off the list. Every doctor's appointment is the baby gaining weight, of course. But you're absolutely correct in that a lot of times because of compensations, because we're putting in so much effort as parents to make sure the baby is feeding, that's the only reason they're gaining weight. Yeah. And I've also heard from so many parents like, oh, I feel like I have spent my entire maternity leave hooked up to the pump while other people have fed and bonded with my baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've worked with families who have PTSD from the whole situation. Like they are traumatized by the whole triple feeding thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when they, you know, families who aren't breastfeeding are traumatized because their baby. And it's hard too when you're a parent and your baby's like screaming, it's hard not to take it as like a personal rejection. And even though the rational side of your brain knows that your baby is not rejecting you, it's still hard not to feel that way. If every yeah. time your baby offers the breast or every time you, you offer your baby the bottle, they like scream and they get upset. Yeah. And the number of times I, I will say that I am, I feel lucky that I didn't, I feel very lucky that I didn't ever feel this way, but I can very easily understand where many parents come from when they say that they felt rejected by their baby because they wouldn't nurse. Mm -hmm. That is a very emotional roller coaster to go through. And I have encountered many, many moms who experienced nursing issues that then triggered some very deep challenges, you know, more than postpartum anxiety, more than postpartum depression, but actually feeling a complete lack of connection mm-hmm. with their child, not just during the fourth trimester or the first year, but like for years. And that's really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think of all the things that parents worry about and plan for, mm-hmm. feeding your baby is not 
a huge one on the list. Like you might take a breastfeeding class and you might ask your friends what kind of formula to use, Mm -hmm. but you're not like, oh my gosh, am I going to struggle with feeding the baby? It's assumed baby will be fed. Mm -hmm. Parents are more like, how am I going to, you know, stand the sleepless nights? So if you're feeling it, you can't even do something as basic Mm -hmm. as just feed your baby. Yeah. That can be really traumatizing. And I struggled with low supply throughout the process. And I remember many, many, many times feeling guilt and shame and disappointment that my body wasn't producing enough for my baby. Mm -hmm. Even when I knew we were experiencing so many challenges because of my daughter's restrictions, knowing that those issues can contribute or cause low supply. Even knowing that, I still felt all of that for a very long time, that immense disappointment that my body was incapable of providing all of her nutrition. I wish that at some point I had just understood and acknowledged and accepted that it was okay. Mm -hmm. But in the moment going through the process, it's really tough to kind of separate yourself and take a few steps back and say, wait a minute, can we somehow make this work for everybody instead Mm -hmm. of just honing in and saying, this is the goal, this is what I want and driving yourself to the point where it is all consuming to try to make that happen. Right. Yep. I agree. 100%. It's so hard. So what did the process look like for you? Yeah. Um, so I also discovered that Mari likely had at, at this point a upper lip tie when she was about six weeks old. Um, I happened to um, have a conversation with a client of mine who is a dentist, not a pediatric dentist and not somebody who specializes in, in ties, but um, reached out to her and just, you know, said, Hey, do you know anything about this? Like, what are your, what are your thoughts? She contacted a a friend and a colleague, had me send some information over. um, And she came back and was like, yeah, we think that it's, it's probable that this is exactly what's going on. Contact your pediatrician. So I did, that did not go well. I was referred to a local ENT at a top hospital here in Boston that was, um, an incredibly disappointing experience. And so that left us around seven weeks, I'll say. I tried to move pretty quickly. And um, after being told that there was no way that the feeding issues we were having were linked to this, and that there's no way that my daughter has a tongue tie, and that, again, she you know likely has a lip tie, but they don't cause problems, um, no need to be concerned. And, um, you know, that it's, it's just the case that sometimes moms and babies don't connect and don't want to, you know, feed and that that needs to be okay. And that, yeah. Yep. And that because I'm a first time mom, I'm just nervous, you know? So after being told all of that, I sat with all of that for a really long time. And I want to say it took a couple of days and I just, like I said earlier, I just thought, you know what, what if, what if they're both wrong? <laughs> what if they're both wrong? And so I actually managed to find 
a local Facebook group. And I feel of all things, it was like such a random thing for me to find this, but I actually feel incredibly grateful and indebted to this group um, because I just sort of explained like what was going on, feeling really confused and conflicted. And there were like so many people who were like, trust your gut, trust your gut. Here are the resources you're going to need. Here are some recommendations. Call people immediately. The next morning, I called. I met with a wonderful um, pediatric chiropractor and craniosacral therapist um, and went through an intense history of my pregnancy with Mari and, you know, pregnancies prior to her and, you know, what we had been experiencing and even was asked like very unexpected things that I just didn't understand could possibly relate to ties or, you know, anything that we're experiencing. And um, by the end of it, the chiropractor confirmed, she said, you know, I, I can't officially diagnose, but I will tell you that Mari is experiencing severe tension. She mm-hmm. is very tight the milestones, quote unquote, that she's already hit at seven weeks old, she should not be hitting. A seven week old should not be able to lift themselves Mm -hmm. off of the floor. They -hmm. should not be able to control their neck the way that your daughter can. They should not be able to roll from their back to their belly or from their belly to their back at seven weeks old. These are not milestones to be celebrated. These are red flags. Right. And can I tell you as a provider, that is so hard to say. Yeah. Because all the time when I'm when I'm examining the baby and asking questions, like, does your baby have a turning preference? Do, do they sleep with their mouth open or closed? And the parents like, he's so strong. He's already rolling over. And he's, you know, he started rolling over when he was five days old. And it's like in my head, it's such a struggle. Yeah. Because it's like your baby's not supposed to be rolling over. At five days old, but also as a provider, I don't want like your baby's wonderful and you're so mm-hmm. proud of your baby. And I don't yeah. want to like kill off your joy bubble, yeah. but yeah, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, your baby's rolling over, but yeah, that's not it's, supposed to happen. It's true. And I'll just like, as a caveat to this, I'm sure you've seen on um, social media lately, the, um, the like dubbing of the hysterical sounding nurse who's like, you know, these quarantine babies, they're, mm-hmm. they're special. And you see all of these videos mm-hmm. of these newborns pushing themselves up and looking around and rolling yeah. around. And I'm like, I just want to scream because I was that parent. I was that parent getting the accolades from the nurses the moment my daughter was born because they were so impressed that she was pushing off of my husband's chest and looking around the room. And I was so proud that she was so strong. Mm -hmm. And listen, she is, but that's not why. Right. That wasn't strength. That was struggle. And the medical and health professionals around us didn't know that. And we didn't know that. We just were like, yeah, she's so impressive. Like, yeah, of course Mm -hmm. my daughter's impressive, but that shouldn't have been celebrated, you know? But you don't know that. You don't know that. And so many medical and health professionals also don't know that. Right. So especially if you're like a parent and you're struggling and that might be like 
the one thing that you're thinking, you know, my baby can't it's breastfeed well. She struggles with the bottle, but look at how strong look at, she is. Look, and she's then, already rolling. Yes. What? And what? then like, if what? you come across a provider who is aware of what's going on and then they have to tell you, like, I know that you're very proud about that, but it's not supposed to be happening. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. I, like as a provider, I just feel my heart breaks when I have yeah. to like explain that to parents. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. But it is so important to do though. Yes. Like we were told that when our daughter's um, umbilical cord fell out that we could begin tummy time. So it fell out at nine days. And at nine days, we started tummy time. And within 30 seconds, she had rolled from her belly onto her back. And I was like, whoa check this out. Let's yeah. do it again. And I, because I, I actually didn't believe that it was happening. Like I blinked and she was just on her back and I managed to catch her doing it. She was nine days old. Mm-hmm. And I made, I sent this video around to all of our family members. They were all in quarantine. Nobody can see her or meet her, but we could share photos and videos. And I was like, look at how impressive she is. Oh my goodness. And I, not too long ago, actually um, posted that video and just like as an announcement, like, hey, this is not normal. <laughs> and and the emotional toll and roller coaster of like going through like, oh my goodness, I celebrated a struggle. Mm-hmm. That's really, really tolling, really challenging. Um, no, right? I didn't know. No one knows. No one explains it. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so we ended up actually having, um, IBCLC support pretty early on. Um, I want to say probably around the same, it was the same time that we started seeing the chiropractor actually. So around seven weeks. Um, so it was at the very um, beginning of the pandemic. So in-person visits were not a thing at that time. Everybody was on severe lockdown. There were no breastfeeding groups happening at, you know, the hospitals, nothing like that. In fact, I, we were actually very lucky that I, um, signed us up for the breastfeeding course offered at the hospital that I was delivering at very early on, like around, I think I was about six months along and everybody else in the room was like, at like eight or nine months. And I was like, oh man, we were a little too early. I'm so glad that I did that because it was the last class before everything shut down. Wow. Um, so I had virtual support from a lactation consultant um, at IBCLC who specialized in supporting infants with ties and, and the dyad. Um, and we texted and sent photos and videos and she sent me resources. So it was a very, a very unique experience, I'll say through um, that process. And ultimately we had a couple of weeks of body work done, um, chiropractic care, craniosacral therapy for Mari. Um, and then at 10 weeks old, she had her posterior tongue tie and her upper lip tie released. So and, why wouldn't a parent yeah. want to go straight to the release? Mm, that's a great question. Um, and a lot of people do. Which, you know, as you know, as you know, you know, it is, it can happen that, um, that it's just the release that's needed and off they go and everything's magically fine. Mm -hmm. But those situations are very, very, very few and far between. Mm -hmm. Like unicorns. Yes. Yes. Those magical one and done unicorns. 
Um, and so, so what happens when babies, and again, I, I'll speak to Mari's scenario and, and scenarios of, you know, the babies and families that I've helped to support. Um, so what happens with ties is that it actually causes challenges throughout the entire body. A lot of times we'll see physical manifestations of tension. It could be uh, tight fists, babies keeping their arms really close to their bodies, having asymmetry when they're laying on their back, um, a complete rejection of wanting to be in the car seat or hating to be on their back or hating to be on their belly, um, curled feet, reflux, colic, um, misshapen heads, mm-hmm. torticollis, you know, the preference of, of keeping their head or placing their head on one side or the other. Um, and so it's really, really important to address any additional possible challenges prior to release to not only begin alleviating those tensions, but also to prepare and retrain the body for what will happen once release is done. So what's so interesting and what I tell the the parents that I support is, you know, a tongue tie release, let's say specifically a tongue tie release that allows for the tongue to be mobile. That doesn't teach your baby how to mobilize their mm-hmm. tongue. Right. It doesn't teach them how to use it. So it's only a piece of that puzzle. And for so many of us, there are 10, 12, 20 pieces to this immense puzzle. Mm-hmm. So when you just go straight to a release provider, and you go in and they clip or snip or laser those ties, it's only addressing a part of the problem. And exactly. what's also interesting is I, I um, actually was watching a um, an Instagram live. I forget who the doctor was. I feel terrible, but I forget. Um, but she was also addressing this, this question of, you know, why does she in her practice require body work? to be done prior? And why does she require the um, body workers to sign off and like give approval for like, yes, this baby is now ready for tie release is because she said from a, from the perspective of the release provider, she said, if tension has been addressed, the muscles are relaxed. And if the muscles are relaxed, she is the provider can actually do the best and most complete release possible. Mm -hmm. She equated it to cutting through cold versus room temperature butter Mm -hmm. and how you don't want to hit resistance. You don't want to, you know, release a muscle that is so tense that it feels like concrete because you don't know necessarily where to stop. You don't know what is still there. And it's, so often that I hear and see stories of people just going straight to the release. Mm-hmm. And those, those experiences, I feel so much empathy for because they were guided, but often incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And they have, and, and in those situations, those are often the toughest ones where I see 
parents come to, you know, any resource and, or, you know, directly reach out to me and say, Hey, we had the release done a week and a half ago or just yesterday and nothing has changed. Well, it's going to take time, but I've also seen scenarios where they're saying things have gotten much, much worse. It can get worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. But then you also have situations where parents are like, it didn't do anything at all. And in all of those scenarios, I think you and your baby were not set up for success. Right. Yes. I know in my practice, I strongly encourage body work. It's not feasible for every parent Mm -hmm. due to lack of insurance coverage Mm -hmm. and and budget. But I always say, you know, if you can, at least minimum one or two sessions of body work before a release and at least two weeks of exercises that I give them Mm -hmm. to do at home, like suck training and massages and Mm -hmm. stuff, because that will release, that will make the release much more effective as basically Mm -hmm. what I tell them. And I also try to prepare them by saying, it's not a magic wand. It's not Mm -hmm. going to fix everything. um, Because I say the exact same thing you say, (laughs) the release gives them the ability to move their tongue, but we're going to have to reteach the baby how. Yeah. So timing is very important. You want to make sure the baby is ready too. You you don't want to put a baby who is stuck in fight or flight all the time through a release mm-hmm. because I've seen those babies struggle with the recovery period. Mm-hmm. So a calm regulated baby or as calm and regulated as we can get them in the state of having ties is also important. Mm-hmm. So addressing that as well yep. um, and preparing the parents for the aftercare, but one one other thing I say to them is like, imagine if you spent, you know, nine months and how many, how many weeks the baby's been out earthside training for a marathon with your shoelaces tied together. And then someone came in and tied them. Theoretically, you could run better, but you'd probably fall flat on your face Mm -hmm. because you wouldn't know how it's a completely new, different tongue muscle movement and function. And it's going to take time for your baby to learn how to move their tongue, but also to build up muscle strength because it's like doing a new workout. Like you're really sore and tired. It Mm -hmm. takes some time for your muscles to build up and get used to that new movement. Mm -hmm. And I think I'll add to that, Shelly, that it's also really important for any care providers to also be ready. Mm -hmm. In these scenarios so often, it you are facing a time crunch because your milk is being established or, you know, maybe you're on family leave and it's ending soon or whatever the case might be. But these journeys take effort and it can be really taxing. It can be a very emotional process. Stretches are not easy and they're not Mm -hmm. fun. Usually you might every now and then get lucky and have, you know, a a day or, you know, a round of stretches where things are okay and baby's not crying, but they can really um, have a profound emotional impact if you are not in a headspace where you can manage that. Or also, if you're not in a scenario where you will be able to be with your baby every four to five hours or however many hours your, you know, release provider recommends, to make sure that those stretches can get done. So if your baby mm-hmm. is in daycare for eight, nine hours a day because you work, that's going to pose some challenges for the recovery or mm-hmm. can pose some challenges for the recovery. So I think it's also really important 
to, as you do, set the parents up for success as well. Mm -hmm. And for parents to acknowledge that they also need to make a sometimes profound commitment and be ready and prepared for that. Right. And I usually tell parents, you know, the the procedure itself, the release itself is easy. Mm -hmm. The hard part is what comes after because it is hard to do the stretches and listen to your baby cry and do them, you know, ever so many hours during the day. So what was the process like for you for the, for the release, the post-release care? Yeah. So, um, so we actually had two rounds of releases done. So one when Maya was 10 weeks old and another round when she was 14 months old. So when she was an infant, um, so at 10 weeks old, we were doing stretches around the clock every four to five hours for three weeks. And it was challenging because she very quickly learned that when the gloves come out, (laughs) that my fingers are going in her mouth and we're going to do some, you know, some fun exercises. And um, she very quickly learned that she could close her mouth very tightly that she could she remembered that she could she knew how to roll um so she was very quick to kind of wiggle and reject the stretches so mm-hmm. um so what i found actually was that i would often actually place her in the position for stretches while we played i would play with her with gloves on Mm-hmm. So that the sound or the, you know, or, or the, or her seeing gloves wasn't such a trigger mm-hmm. so that it wasn't automatically that if she saw the, those purple gloves, that, she, that this is what was going to happen. Um, or that if she was, you know, laying on her, on her back with her head towards me, it wasn't always that we were doing stretches. Mm-hmm. We could be doing something fun, like reading a book or something also. Um, that is a great idea, by the way. I, I need to I, share that idea. Thank you. Because when I see the babies after they're released and I go, I put on my gloves to go check on, they see how the sites are healing. They see me coming. They know by then. Yeah. Because usually I see yep. them like five days after the release. Yep. And they see me coming with those gloves and they turn their head and they arch their back and they're like, you are not coming in my mouth, lady. Because mm-hmm. nope, <laughs> I, I know what, what that means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And actually, even now at 19 months old, Mari sees anyone with gloves and she is like, doesn't want it, mm-hmm. does not want to, doesn't want to near her. And of course, you know, developmentally, she's at that stage where she understands like stranger danger. But like if strange, if it's a stranger with gloves, mm-mm, mm-mm, does not, not want to happen. No, no. So, um, so we did a lot of that. And I also, I'll say, I'll, I found that, you know, when we were, we were shown the stretches, it was, we'll do this one, then do this one, then do this one. And I actually found that she didn't mind one, she didn't mind one of them, really hated another. And was sort of a, like, it kind of depended on the day or the moment with the, with the other. And so I found that I didn't always go in the same sequence to try mm-hmm. to like catch her and like, like trip her up a little bit. Um, and I also sometimes would just reset 
if she was in a particularly challenging mood or really just was very upset that it was Stretch's time, I would just, I'd pick her up, I'd hold her for a bit, and sometimes I'd be able to do it when I held her. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would, I would just, you know, console her and put her down and we could start again and it was fine. So like, I realized pretty quickly that there are, you know, there are a few workarounds to make it maybe not such an intensely traumatic experience for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it is hard. You know, you are waking up around around the clock. You got to do these stretches. So you're waking up at certain times. Um, and I think for me, as somebody who has struggled and is struggling with postpartum anxiety, you have that fear of, am I going to, you know, am I going to sleep until 3 a.m. and miss the four to five hour window? Oh my goodness. Is it going to reattach it? Like what's going to happen? So the whole, the whole thing was, was pretty challenging. And um, I'll say that at 14 months, when we had our second round of releases, we had to readdress her upper lip tie as her teeth came in. It pushed a lot of her excess tissue um, down and was causing her problems. And we had her upper buckles released. And that stretch experience was actually pretty different than when she was 10 weeks old. Mm-hmm. Because then she's a toddler and she's strong and she's quick and she's <laughs> cognitive in a very different way. So I found myself though actually implementing kind of the same tactics where I would like try to catch her off guard. And um, luckily the lip tie stretches are not as challenging as the tongue tie stretches. And especially because she had at that time, she had 12 teeth. So I was, I felt lucky that I didn't have to, you know, address the tongue tie stretches. I thought, boy, yep, yep. And I would not have blamed her. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, But that was, it was a different experience in that she was more aware. But I, I did something that I found really helped her. And I've actually made this recommendation to many parents. I talked her through the entire process. So when it was time for stretches, I told her it's time for stretches. I didn't hide putting on my gloves and try to sneak in and do it. I was like, Mari, it's time for stretches. And she would cover her face and go, no, 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 no. And I'd say, yes, it's time for stretches. It'll be quick. And I'd intentionally, I did this when she was an infant, but certainly did it more when she was a toddler. I would kind of like, I called it booping her face. So I'd like boop her nose. I go like boop and, you know, kind of poke her cheek and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of just play with her face so that when it was time for me to lift her lip, it was like, oh, whoa. Oh, okay. Was that fun? Maybe. No, it wasn't fun. Okay. But you're doing something fun now. <laughs> so right. so I, I tried to kind of play a little bit, but I will say, I think walking her through the process and telling her hey, it's time for stretches. Just using that same language every single time, letting her see the gloves. And actually, um, I want to say within the first couple of days, she started requiring us to give us her own glove. She would put both of her little hands in a glove and she would try to like 
put her hands in her, in our mouth too. So really just bringing her along the process really helped to make it, you know, it was never necessarily fun, but I will mm-hmm. say, I think that made a huge difference because it wasn't something that felt like it was happening to her all the time, but something, something that she was experiencing with us. She was more of an active participant. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I love it. And what kind of, did you see the symptoms resolve after the release for you personally? What was that experience? Yeah, so yeah, that's a great question. So Mari had a lot of the typical symptoms, a lot of them. Um, so when, so I sort of have to kind of separate it into each release, if you will. So at her 10 week release, um, her reflux went away very quickly. Her colic went away immediately. Oh, wow. Her constipation, she would have bouts of severe constipation and then explosive releases that stopped. The excessive gas in her stomach stopped. Um, her side preference decreased. It didn't go away. That took a very long time, actually. Her, we needed ongoing body work. Um, but a lot of the physical challenges that she had, her torticollis was significantly helped. It still lingered. Um, her, Propensity to not want her hands or feet touched continued, mm-hmm. but her legs were no longer often asymmetrical. Um, the her head had started to um, misshape a bit. That was alleviated pretty quickly after her first releases. Um, so there are all of these things, and from a feeding perspective, while we never ultimately and regretfully had the nursing journey that I envisioned for us before her releases when we would when I would nurse her she would um, as I mentioned she would nurse and fall asleep and nurse and fall asleep and it was Mm -hmm. like this never-ending struggle she immediately like by day by the next morning rather stopped falling asleep at the breast the morning so at that point in our journey I had stopped exclusively trying to nurse her I just decided you know what I can't handle the pain I can't Mm -hmm. handle the mutilation that I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. it was just too painful and that constant struggle and cycle that we were going through of you know 45 minutes to an hour feedings and then having to pump and then having to give her a bottle it was just too much so I said you know what I'm going to nurse her in the morning the rest of the day, I'm going to pump. So that first feeding that next morning, she drained my breast for the first time. Wow. It took her eight minutes, Wow! which was unprecedented. She didn't fall asleep a single time. And I was like, what is this world? So <laughs> that, that was great. And also I'll say bottle feeding, she also very much struggled. It was much easier for her to bottle feed, mm-hmm. but when she bottle fed prior to her first releases, she would click. She had choking and gagging episodes often. And we had to, my husband and I, when we were bottle feeding her, we paste bottle fed her. But even with the paste bottle feeding, after every suck, 
we would have to remove the bottle from her mouth so that she could swallow. And then we'd have to put it back and repeat until the bottle was gone or until she said she was done. If we didn't do that, milk would just pour out of her mouth and Mm -hmm. she would not intake anything. And that also stopped having to be a thing. Clicking took a while for her. She clicked for a while. Um, As I mentioned, her side preference and some of her tension lingered. Um, But there were so many immediate positive changes. And I have to say that I wish that I understood at the time how intertwined everything we were experiencing was. Because if I had, I would have documented everything. I documented Mm -hmm. a lot unknowingly, but I would have loved to document everything because I just wish so much that, that her pediatrician, that ENT who dismissed us, that other medical and health professionals can, could see the drastic difference in everything Mm -hmm. immediately. And I know that that's not always the case for everybody. We didn't have immense, you know, immediate success for everything, mm-hmm. but for many things we did. Fast forward to when she was 12 months old, I started noticing some of her symptoms come back. She was clicking at the bottle again. Every now and then um, she would get hiccups. I forgot to mention she would hiccup after every single feeding when she was a, an infant. Mm-hmm. Her hiccups started coming back after every feeding. All of these things started coming back. And then also um, she was crawling and she stopped crawling properly. She was doing this kind of awkward like side leg thing where her right leg would go out to the side and extend and she would kind of hobble. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. And um, we happened to be feeding her corn on the cobs, one of her favorite foods. And I went to get a piece of corn out of her her gap in her front teeth. And I lifted up her lip and I was like, oh, oh no. And I see this thick mass again. Yeah. Not as thick, but it's there. And I was like, oh, darn it. So fast forward to 14 months. So again, same process, went for more body work, went to just see if there was any way that body work alone could just address the tension that she was experiencing. Um, but there were other things that had been kind of happening as well. Her speech, when she was 12 months old, she was already saying 20 words. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she just stopped. She stopped saying our dog's name and her cousin's name. And it was literally went from 20 words to only mama, dada, no. Oh, wow. And so all of these things were kind of like wrapped up. And I was like, oh, darn it I think we get I think we're here again and we were so we had her second round of releases when she was 14 months old and um so we went for her release in the morning and she was in good spirits after she was not happy understandably the entire time that we were there Mm -hmm. we got in the car and we're like you know what she's in good spirits so we went out for breakfast and we're sitting out for breakfast literally 20 minutes after her her releases. You know, her little mouth is like all cauterized and I'm yeah. like feeling like a terrible mom. 
And we're sitting at the the breakfast table and she looks over at this little keychain that I got for my husband that has a picture of her and a picture of our dog on the other side. And she points down and she says our dog's name. Oh my gosh. It was the first time she had done it in over two months. That's amazing. She also had not picked up new words since she was 12 months old. We're sitting and she does this thing. It's super cute. I think most kids probably do this, but I just, you know, of course, think my daughter's the cutest. (laughs) When we serve her food, she points to every single thing asking what it is. So we're going through and like eggs, potatoes, and um, my husband had given her like a piece of sausage or something. And so he like pointed to it and she pointed to it and he said sausage. And she looks up and she goes, shej. And then we got home like maybe an hour later. And she said, bike. Oh my goodness. And it was like, honestly, from 15 minutes after her releases, uh, second round of releases on, she started saying all of these words again. Chicken was back. Mm -hmm. Our dog's name was back. Her cousin's name was back. Her aunt's name. And it was just like, it was mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And what I also know now is that the ongoing tension that she consistently experienced after the fact that she still only wanted to nurse on one side refused to nurse on the other even after her first round of leases all of that tension was linked to her buckle ties she consistently had her toes curled almost all the time and I was actually in the room when they did her releases when she was 14 months old I was part of the team of people holding her little body down And I will never forget this moment. I am resting my arms on her to try to soothe her, but also hold her torso down. And our release provider, I'm watching her. She's um, tackling Mari's buckle ties. Mm -hmm. And as she releases her buckle on her left side, I feel underneath my hands Mari's body go limp and she stops screaming for like a second and I panicked thinking that she had like passed out or something right Right, right. nope she was fine you literally felt the tension I literally felt the tension release when she got to the right side the same thing happened but to a much greater degree wow and I was, and I didn't connect it all at the time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was recounting the situation with my mom on the phone that I was like, yeah, this weird thing happened twice. I thought Mari passed out and she didn't. It was like right when she had her buckles released. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. It honestly felt truly like a rubber band had been snapped in her body. And that's exactly what had happened. Right. Her toes, I I just happened to catch it. I posted it not too long ago, actually. I took a photo of her being held by my husband, by Mari's dad, um, just before her release. And her toes are curled upwards like they always were. And then I took photos after as she's pouting, sitting on his lap, like, mom, why did you do this to me? <laughs> and her toes, for the very first time in her entire life, are straight and relaxed. That's amazing. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. She immediately started walking. 
she immediately stopped with that weird crawl that she was doing. Mm -hmm. She started talking. She was eating more foods. Like the difference both times, it was incredible. Yeah. And I've met toddlers who could only walk on their toes until they got the release Mm -hmm. done. And all of a sudden they were walking properly. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. What an amazing story. I am so grateful that you were able to come on and tell your story because again the parent perspective is so important what is one thing that you would want parents to know who are who are in a situation where their babies have ties that's a that's a really good question because I want them to know everything um (laughs) I I think I think I'll I'll go with with this I believe that your intuition is a really important thing to follow. If you believe or know that something is going on with your child, whether it's tie related or not, I really think it is so important to just trust that and to find resources that will listen. You may not always have the diagnosis, but you know your child and you know that experience day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And if you know something is up, pursue it. Love it. Absolutely. 100% agree. Great advice. Where can families find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah. So right now um, you can find me on the Instagram platform at the Unbound Network. Um, all one word, no underscores or anything. So the Unbound Network. Um, you can connect with me through chat there um feel free to message me comment on posts um share your stories and um, i always always try to connect with everyone all followers it's it's been a great journey love it and i will put the link to your instagram in the show notes well thank you again so much for coming on here and sharing your story and again I love your account I think it's so important that parents like you are out there showing like other parents you're not alone and it's really tough to go through but there are others who are going through it with you and that we can support you Mm -hmm. and I'll say thank you to you for just amplifying those voices and and giving me an opportunity to to amplify our story too thank you thank you so much Have a great night, Cassandra. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.